morning, everybody. Excellent. Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. Whether you're joining us in person in the room today, whether you're joining us online today, we're glad to have you with us. Today we kick off a brand new series entitled Signs. Uh, more on that to come and how Alicia's question works into all of that. So, uh, But before we, we jump into all that, we're just going to take a minute and pray. So uh, if you would, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much just for um, beautiful weather, that it's warm, that it's sunshiny, that stuff is getting green, that there's just hope for spring. Um, God, just in, in light of uh, the recent news and just repeated violence, um, God, I pray for wisdom just for our leaders in how to respond in a way that... Um, genuinely takes people's freedom and, and people's um, rights in, into account both at the same time. And uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to manage and, and hold those two things into tension well. But Father, pray for, for our leaders that they would, um, they would genuinely lead, that they would not try and politicize this, um, but that uh, we would see just a change in that kind of violence for the for the people who father we pray for the people who just somehow in their heads they think this is a good solution that you would work in those people father um just as the numbers surge with covid um just thank you so much for people here in our church uh, community who have recovered from this uh we want to pray for donna pickens daughter uh, Susan, who is in the hospital and who is really struggling right now with it, for your hand of mercy and healing on her body. And Father, just as we, we take time and, and we begin to look at signs as John records them for us, please just speak your truth to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, again, we're starting a series called Signs, and there are all kinds of different signs that you encounter in the world. Uh, so you have road signs, and you see road signs just about every place, and um, there are some unusual and fun road signs that we track down for the kickoff of this series. Um, so we've got this first one here. Let's bring this up. Question becomes, which way do you need to go here? <laughs> just look at it. You'll get there, right? Um, but it's like, I, I'm not sure what you're telling me, right? Or if maybe in your neighborhood, you've got a school crossing sign. Maybe you've got a, a, you know, if you're in a rural area, you've seen the deer crossing sign. Have you ever seen this crossing? <laughs> if you've got a good bar in your neighborhood, you might need a drunk crossing sign, you know, to, to, just to help folks know, don't run this poor person over. Um, you know, Alicia, you know, ask you a question, you know, and, and if you've driven through mountainous areas, you've seen the signs for falling rocks. She wasn't messing around. This next sign here, let's bring it up. This is for real. All right, who are my rock people? Who are my cow people? That's right, cow people, moo. You're not doing it, all right, so we try, all right. Um, this last sign, I don't even know what to do with this last sign. I'm like, I don't even know what you're telling me. You know, like Superman bikes in his neighborhood, watch out, I don't know what's going on. But they're, they're, all over the world, there are signs, road signs. They tell us, hey, this is where you're going. Look out for this thing. This is where you have arrived. And they're meant to give us directions. We find signs everywhere. One of the places that we find signs is in the Bible. 
And just like there are purposes for road signs, there are purposes for signs in the Bible. With biblical signs, the purpose is different. With biblical signs, the, the purpose, biblical signs serve to authenticate a message and a messenger from God. Biblical signs are meant to authenticate a message from God, and biblical signs are meant to authenticate a messenger from God. Now, in the Bible, sometimes signs are miraculous, and sometimes they are not. So, so like, you have Moses comes to Pharaoh, and he's like, let my people go. And, and to authenticate that Moses really is God's messenger, to authenticate let my people go really is God's message, God sends all these miraculous plagues upon Egypt. Other times, though, there's nothing miraculous about a sign. Like you have, you have Isaiah, for three years, the man wanders around barefoot and nearly naked as a sign to the nation of Cush that, that judgment is coming. Nothing miraculous about that. Odd, maybe inappropriate, a little dicey, but there's no miracle there. The man's just barefoot and nearly naked. What we're going to do in this series is we're going to spend some time looking at the signs in John's biography of Jesus' life. Now, John, he, he, he talks about his signs, and, and as he does, he lets us know some specific things about the kind of signs that he's going to talk to us about in his book. So, so as John begins, he'll, he'll start off um, by saying this. Uh, he'll say, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the one recorded in this book. So, so as John begins here, he's like, listen, Jesus performed all kinds of signs. I've chosen some specific ones. I'm not going to give you all of them. I've chosen some specific ones of the signs that Jesus performed. And then John also lets us know that of the ones he's going to point out to us, that he's chosen to go after the miraculous type of signs in his book. Now, be before we talk, at the end of the, the message today, we're going to talk about the purpose that John has for the signs that he chose. But before we get there, we're going to spend the lion's share of our time talking about this idea of miraculous type signs. And I will warn you right on the front end, all right, Today is going to be very technical. Today is going to be very academic. Fire up the little gray cells. You're going to have to think hard in church today. Just how it's going to, how it's going to work. Some people will get done, and some of you will get outside, and you're going to be like, I am so glad that's over with, all right? <laughs> Others of you are like, I love it when we do this, all right? I'll just be honest. This is not my personal favorite thing. It's not my wheelhouse, but sometimes the apologetics is absolutely necessary to get where we're going to go. Because here's the deal. The minute we say miracle, for some of us in the room, for some of us watching online, we hear that word and we get stuck. And we're like, wait a minute. Miracle? Really? For, for some people, they would contend that you cannot be a rational, critically thinking, scientifically minded person and, and genuinely believe in real live miracles. They would go, okay, yeah, the Bible's full of all these miracles, but it really didn't happen that way. Those are just embellishments to help make the story more interesting or to help get the point across. But I'm telling you, as John writes, that's not how he deals with this idea of miracle. John is writing as though these miracles that Jesus performed were 
actual historical events, not fairy tales. But, but again, some of us get stuck there. And so we're going to spend some time just kind of unpacking this idea of whether or not you can, you can genuinely believe that Jesus performed the miracles that John is going to describe that we're going to look at in the weeks to come and not have to check your brain at the door of this room in order to do so. Now, before we, we kind of unpack miracles and talk about science and history and logic and all that kind of stuff, let's make sure we're on the same page for what a miracle is. Because this word gets used differently by different people. So like some of us will be driving home from church today We've got a green light, and this you know, big old truck runs the red light and just barely misses our car, and we'll be like, oh, that's a miracle. Or some of us, you know, we'll be like a young person, walks through the store, and behold on the shelf is a PlayStation 5. <laughs> and the heavens open, and the hallelujah chorus rings out, and they pull that off of the shelf. It's real, Right? And they take it up to the register, and they purchase the plate. They did not have to trample anybody. They did not have to stand in line overnight. And they get it at retail. And they're like, it's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's not what John has in mind, okay? <laughs> Maybe that's a miracle for you. That's not what John's talking about. Or some of us, we, like, some people get really gimmicky with this idea of miracle. Anybody hear the, the, the Virgin Mary grilled cheese sandwich? We got it for you, all right? This is a real thing, like the, the face of the mother of God on a grilled cheese sandwich. It went for $28,000 on eBay, which is nuts when you consider that for under $50, you can get on Amazon and buy the grilled cheeses, all right? <laughs> you can make a miracle anytime you want, Right? This is not what John has in mind. Right? This idea of like, is this a miracle? Is this not a miracle? Is this coincidence? Is it no. This gimmicky sleight of hand, you know, parlor tricks. No. When John talks about miracles, here's what John has in mind. Real acts of God intervening in the usual course of natural laws. When John describes the miracles, he's describing very real and supernatural interventions in the laws of nature. And yet, there are people who struggle with this idea. Smart people who struggle with this idea. For example, um, mid-20th century German physicist Max Planck, he writes this about miracles. He says, faith in miracles must yield ground step by step before the steady and firm advance of the forces of science. And its total defeat is indubitably a mere matter of time. What Planck is saying here is, look, you give it enough time, science will get to a place where it will scientifically explain away every so-called miracle. Or take Richard Dawkins. Dawkins has been one of the leading voices for atheism in our age. About miracles, Dawkins said this. He said, the 19th century is the last time when it was possible for an educated person to admit in believing in miracles like the virgin birth without embarrassment. Dawkins' point is really simple. You've got to go back to the 1800s before somebody could say they believe in this miracle dribble and not be embarrassed about it. 
See, for, for men like Dawkins or Planck, our entire world can be reduced to the physical sciences. They would argue everything we see, everything we experience, it can be understood and explained by things like, like physics and chemistry and biology and mathematics. And here's the thing. Men like Dawkins and Planck, they are brilliant scientists. But I would contend that there is more to life and what we experience than just what the physical sciences can point us to. And fortunately, there are some smart scientific people who would, would, would agree with that. For example, um, Nobel Prize winner Peter Medwar, he wrote this about science. He said, it's easy to see the limits of science. It cannot answer the question of a child. Where am I coming from? What is the meaning of life? Where am I going to? He says, we need to go outside of natural science to answer those questions. Like to sit down with chemistry and go, explain the meaning of life to me. You run out of room quick. Or take Einstein. Einstein's a reasonably intelligent, scientifically minded person, or was. Einstein wrote this. He said, you can speak of the ethical foundations of science. Like we can talk about, hey, is this biological experiment? Is this ethical? Is this vaccine? Is this ethical? You can speak of the ethical foundations of science, but you cannot speak of the scientific foundation of ethics. See, every, everybody watching online, everybody sitting in this room, we all believe in ethics. Like, no, you, no, I don't. If I violate your ethical principles, you will scream loud. Everybody believes in ethics. All you got to do to figure out what somebody's ethical principles are is violate them. They maybe just haven't defined them clearly in their own minds. Everybody believes in this. But how do you, how do you take biology or physics or mathematics and measure ethics or prove ethics? See, there, there's, there's more to the world we live in than, than what just the physical, the natural sciences can explain to us. And one of my favorite examples of this comes from Dr. John Lennox. I'm leaning heavily on Dr. John today. And, and he describes um, a, a dinner that he had. He's at a university. You've got all these brilliant minds having dinner together. And John gets sat at a table with a man who is a, an atheist and a well-known, world-renowned biochemist. And this particular man, John is having a conversation with him about life and how things work. And John wants to make the point that maybe there's more to life than, than just what the physical sciences can teach us. And so John says to him, he picks up the menu. And he's like, look at the menu. The guy's like, what? He's like, John says, look, look, you're reductionist, right? You believe everything that we, we understand and experience, we can filter it all through things like chemistry and physics. And this table mate's like, yeah. That's the, that's the whole point. John says, okay, look at the menu. It says we're having roast chicken tonight. All right, what's the problem? John says, look, look at these marks. R-O-A-S-T. Yeah. John says, now, now look at these marks. These marks have meaning. To which the table is like, well, yeah, that's how we know we're having roast chicken, John. John says, I understand, but the, the, the marks... They have meaning. They're, they're, they're semionic. The Greek word simian, it's where we get our word sign from. 
John says, these marks have meaning. And Stephen says, I know. That's how we know we're having roast chicken. John says, fine. Here's what I need you to do for me. Explain to me the semionics of these marks. Explain to me how these marks carry meaning. And do so by, by the, the, the physics and chemistry of the ink and the paper. And there's this long silence between John and his table mate when John asks his table mate to do that. A silence that is eventually broken by his table mate's wife who rather loudly says, get out of that one if you can. <laughs> but his table mate didn't try and get out of it. Instead, his table mate said, John, for 40 years now, I've been going into my laboratory convinced that I'd be able to do that, but you can't. This idea of semiotics, meaning in those symbols, you can't explain that bottom up. You have to introduce a concept like intelligence in order to understand that. You see, there are factors in the world that we live in, the, the, the lives that we experience. Factors like symbols and intelligence and love and ethics and more. That we, we all, we know them to be true. We experience them in our lives. And yet the natural sciences, they can't take us there. The natural sciences alone, they can't explain them to us. Now, other people and their objections to, to miracles and science, they get nuanced slightly differently. For example, take David Hume. David Hume is famous for saying, miracles are by definition violations of natural law. And natural laws are unalterably uniform, therefore miracles cannot occur. Now, what, what Hume is trying to say here is that you have things like gravity and biology and energy. And we know, hey, these things, they do not change. And a miracle would come in here and change these natural laws. And since we know these things are unalterable, they never change. Therefore, logically, a miracle cannot exist. However, again, other people would approach this differently. See, see with a natural law, you have a system in which everything functions the same way every time. You know, like the, the, the experiment just repeats itself over and over and over again. And with the natural law, you're assuming that you don't have anything from outside the system messing with the parameters of the system. You don't have something natural or supernatural messing with the parameters of the system, so you just keep getting the same results. Now, Hume is arguing that with something like natural law, that the system is always closed. That you can't have something from outside the system entering into it. But people who believe in miracles would, would, would argue, you know what, no, the system isn't necessarily closed. That, that with a miracle, you have something supernatural. God himself enters into the system. He's not, he's not violating natural law. Natural law assumes that, hey, there's nothing messing with the system, that all the parameters are going to be the same. But with a, a miracle, you're going, hey, the system is open and the, the divine, the supernatural enters into the system and changes the parameters. So for example, let's say after church today, I go into my office, I pull up my wallet, I peel off a $100 bill and I put it in my desk drawer. Now automatically, you know this is an example because if you know me personally, you know I'm too cheap to carry $100 bills, amen? 
right? Okay, but work with me, all right? So I peel off a $100 bill, put it in my desk drawer, shut my desk drawer. Next week after church, I go into my office, I peel off another $100 bill, open up my desk drawer, put it in my desk drawer, close the desk drawer. On the third Sunday, when I go into my office and I open up my desk drawer, how much money am I expecting to find in my desk drawer? 200 bucks, right? Is that the laws of mathematics tell us one plus one is two. Now, if I open my desk drawer and instead of finding $200, I find 50 bucks there. Am I going to, what am I going to say? Am I going to say the law of mathematics have been broken? <laughs> or am I going to say the laws of the United States have been broken here, right? <laughs> you get, you understand, right? Right? See, the, but, but <laughs> here's the thing. The reason I know that the laws of the United States have been broken is because I know the law of mathematics. And because I know the law of mathematics, I know the law of mathematics have been broken. I know the laws of the United States have been broken. I know that someone from outside the system entered into the system. Somebody put their hand in my drawer, most likely Pastor Eric, right? <laughs> there he is. We caught him, right? Because here's the deal. We, know we all know it's a universal church law when something goes wrong at church. 9.9 .9 times out of 10, student ministry is at fault. Amen? Yeah. So there he is. And he, he took me a whole series of pictures. Like he comes in and he like crawls out my window and everything. But all seriousness, all seriousness, we conclude something from outside the system came into the system. Right? Here's the deal. I believe in natural law. I believe in an orderly universe where things happen the same way. But I believe in a God who set those things into motion. A God who designed the universe to function that way. And I would argue that, that when it comes to natural law, God isn't held prisoner to the natural laws that he put into place. That he is able to come from outside the system and enter into the system and change the dynamic. See, when John is saying that Jesus performed miracles, John isn't saying that Jesus did these things within the course of normal natural law. John is saying, no, 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 no. Through Jesus, God interjects enormous energy and power from outside the system into the system. God is saying that through Jesus, the supernatural enters into the system. And unless you have proof that the system is totally and completely closed, you can be open to the idea that Jesus actually performed these miracles. What John is saying is, through Jesus, God himself is putting his hand into the drawer. See, so you, you, you don't have to, like, check your scientific mind at the door to be open to these ideas. And again, it's, it's, it's not just science that would, would give us evidence that what John is talking about here is true. You take things like history and logic and get to the same place. See, John is one of four biographies of Jesus' life. Now, when John writes, John writes 50 to 55 years after the events he describes. The, the other writers, like uh, uh, the earliest one writes uh, 25 to 30 years after the events that they're describing. Right? And all of the, the first three gospel writers, like John, they all attribute miracles to Jesus. Now, here's why this is important. Chronologically speaking, the events they are writing about 
They are close enough to, to, to when they, they write these books and they publish these books, the, the publication of the books is close enough to the events that they describe that the people who were there when those events supposedly took place are still alive when the book comes out. So, so these three writers are all like, Jesus performed all these miracles. If he didn't, there are still all kinds of people alive who can be like, no, he didn't. Mark, Matthew, Luke, stop it. We were there. Je Jesus was a nice guy. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet in, in, in his own right. But he didn't, he didn't raise the dead. He didn't, he didn't make the blind see. He didn't feed people with some lunch he stole from some kid. He didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't do any of this stuff. Enough with the miracle dribble. See, if Jesus never performed these miracles, those first three biographies of his life never would have gotten any kind of traction. And for John to come around and try and bring those miracles back, it would have just been stupid. John would have gotten laughed off the stage because, again, but by the time John writes, there's still all kinds of people alive who were there when those events took place who can say to John, John, stop it. We didn't let Matthew, Mark, and Luke try and run this game. We're not going to let you run this game either. Knock it off. We all know he didn't do this kind of stuff. Just stop it. But instead of, instead of people denying Jesus' miracles, people acknowledge them. You see, the historicity of Jesus' miracles as his biographers record them, they don't get questioned because when those biographies came out, you have all kinds of people who are alive when the biographies came out, who were alive when the miracles took place, who can say, we were there. That's how it happened. And again, not only the people who saw those miracles and, and were pro-Jesus acknowledge them, but people who were anti-Jesus acknowledge those miracles. Jesus' opponents, people who hated him, people who wanted him dead, acknowledged his miracles. Like Pastor James found a reading plan for us. You can go to the, to, to the church website, click on the Sundays tab, and you can download the reading plan if you want. If you read through the Gospel of John with us over the course of the series, I would challenge you, look at how Jesus' opponents respond when he performs miracles. They don't deny them. They regularly acknowledge them. They're distressed about them because they're like, hey, people are going to believe this guy if we let him keep doing this kind of stuff. They will at times attribute his miracles to the power of hell instead of the power of heaven, but they never deny that he performed them. Unless you say, well, that's just circular reasoning, Mike. You're, you're appealing to the Bible to demonstrate that the Bible's telling the truth. Here's the deal. Jesus' opponents... They're still alive when John writes his book. They easily, easily could have come forward and said, John, we never acknowledge that man so much as raised somebody from a nap, let alone raised somebody from the dead. Stop it. We never said that. But again, those objections just don't come. And then in addition to the biblical testimony that Jesus performed miracles, you have the extra biblical testimony. The Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, refers to Jesus as a sorcerer who got himself crucified for his sorcery. To be a sorcerer was to be someone who performed miracles by the power of the devil. Or you can look to Josephus, first century Jewish historian who writes about Jesus and miracles that he performed as he writes his history of the Jewish people. See, again, whether you're talking about 
logic, whether you're talking about history, whether you're talking about science. This idea that John is writing about historical events, not fairy tales, not made up stuff. I would contend you don't have to check your brain at the door of this room in order to walk in here, sit down, and in the weeks to come, as we talk about Jesus literally performing these miracles, to, to be open to that idea. You can be a thinking, intelligent person and be open to it. Now, that said, back to John. John talks about these miracles of Jesus. And again, he says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So again, he's like, hey, all kinds of signs Jesus performed. I picked out some specific ones. I picked out miraculous ones. And then next, John tells us why he picked out the signs he picked out. John says this. He says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. See, John has this idea that if we dig down into these miracles, even though we weren't physically present when, we, when they took place, by digging into them and reading them and thinking through them on a critical kind of level, that these miracles still have the power to impact our lives today. John has this idea that the miracles he's recorded, that, that they authenticate for us God's messenger. That in these miracles, maybe for the first time, we meet Jesus or that they can cause us to believe in him even more, to continue to believe in him. That in these miracles, we discover on a deeper level what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior. We, we discover on a deeper level what it means that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is divinity come to us wrapped in humanity. Not only so, but John would contend that these miracles, they don't just authenticate the messenger, but the miracles, they authenticate the message as well. That in these miracles, what Jesus means for us to understand about life on both this side and the other side of the grave, these miracles are going to unpack some of that for us. That in these miracles, Jesus is going to speak a message from God about the very things that our hearts and souls are most hungry for. And so what we want to do is just invite you over the next eight weeks to show up each week. And each week we're going to take one miracle. And while, while today was very academic and technical, the weeks to come are going to be very up, just applicable. And they're going to speak to us right where we are. And we're going to go, hey, what does this miracle teach me about who Jesus is and what, what it means to truly have life in him? Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, just as, as we think about John and, and these miracles, Father, just for some of us here today, some of us watching online, some of us were just, we, we, the, 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 we hear the word miracle and we get stuck. And kind of like last week, some of us, we just want to pray, God, if, you, if you're really there, if there really is supernatural to break into the natural world, would you break into mine? And over the course of this series, help me see 
who Jesus is and what he's teaching about life. Help me to see that you're really there and you can do this. And Father, for those of us who, who, who we believe in Jesus, as John says here, that help us continue to believe in him. Over the course of this series, open our minds and our hearts in a newer and a deeper kind of way to who Jesus is and what it means to have life in him. And Father, for, for some of us maybe who are watching or who are here today who are not following Jesus, if we've gotten to a place where you've, you've just done something inside of our hearts and minds where we're ready for that to change, where we realize we, we need a Savior, we need a Messiah, we need the Son of God come to us. We want to say yes to him for the first time. We just, in, in the quietness of our heart, we just confess, you are God, not us. You alone have the right to determine how life should be lived, not us. Forgive us, please. We, we just confess. We have done this our way, not yours. We have sinned. God, we can't fix this ourselves, but we believe you sent Jesus the Messiah to save us from our sins. We just surrender ourselves to the Son of God, and we commit ourselves to following him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.